Ahoy authors! You're listening to The Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to episode 83 of The Writership Podcast. I'm Leslie Watts here with Clark Chamberlain from The Book Editor Show. Every week, we show you editing in action with tips that you can use to improve your own stories. If you want to learn more about the Writership Podcast, you can visit the website at writership.org slash podcast. As you know, the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at Author Marketing Club, home of the new and improved Amazon Reviewer Grabber Tool. You know you need high-quality reviews for your books, so you should use the AMC Reviewer Grabber Tool to quickly and easily locate reviewers that are ready, willing, and able to review your books for you. Become a premium member of AMC now by visiting www.authormarketingclub.com and get instant access to this tool and more. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. It's the day after Halloween and I just went and did my day after Halloween shopping and got myself a full-size skeleton. So what can be better than that? I I don't know. I can't even imagine. (laughs) No, I know you can't. Like it's just, it's amazing morning for me. (laughs) Excellent. So day after Halloween, that kind of brings up scary stories and that kind of thing oh yeah and uh so this is very fitting for the one that we're going to be reading about today um in the horror genre so this should be fun yeah do you read much horror um i don't read a lot of it uh but i do a little occasionally Mm -hmm. i I guess that um, it's I, what I think it is, is the the way that um, Sean Coyne describes it, that fate worse than death is kind of is a little too much for me, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can be uh, for sure. I, I really do. Uh, you know, I've always enjoyed Stephen King's work and uh, and his son, uh, Joe Hill, is just amazing. But uh, but yeah, it's more than just what I really like about horror that is it's more than just about. Um, the characters in the book being scared. It's actually about you, the reader, <laughs> right. uh, having all this tension and being frightened and, and worried. And it's amazing you can get that from a book. Yeah. Yeah. I remember because, you know, there was a there was a time when I was really into it, into like horror movies and stuff when I was uh-huh. um, a young adult. And so... I think at different times in my life, I just want different, you know, I don't want to be scared so much nowadays. (laughs) No, I I do understand. Like, I'm watching something. I'm like, oh, I know there's going to be a jump scare coming up along here, and I don't want to do that. And I just, like, oh, I think I'll just play a video game on my phone while I'm waiting for that to happen. We'll get through that. (laughs) We'll move on with it. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, all right. Well, we have we happen to have a horror story today, so we'll get to explore some of these themes a bit. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, are you interested, though, maybe in a quote? Sure. To start us off? Sure. Yeah, let's go ahead yeah. and do that. All right. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Cam Wyland uh, says the passive protagonist is one who either has no goal or is making no effort to achieve his goal. If your character spends most of his time staring out the window, observing as other people do things, that's a good sign he's lapped into passivity. 
And uh, what a good idea, you know, like uh, I am totally on board with this. Like you can't be the, the one who's just sitting there watching it go by if you're the character, if you're the protagonist character. Right, right. And I love because uh, K.M. Wyland makes the distinction between a passive character and a reactive character because mm-hmm. oftentimes the character in the beginning is just reacting to things. They, you know... They're in their happy, normal world, and then things get turned upside down, and then they're just reacting. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that they're, um, you know, passively sitting by, waiting for stuff to happen. And so I think it's really, it's an important point, and it's, um, it's important for reader engagement that the that the that the protagonist be engaged so mm-hmm. yeah. right because I, I that's one of the big things that we're escaping from because in our own lives we're not engaged we do passively sit by and watch as life goes on because it's difficult right I and mean, that's the rut we get into in, in regular life and so we escape from that by seeing this character who's doing things that we wish we were out doing yeah yeah so all right well so today's Submission is The More Park Horror, and it's by Russell Gibbs. This is middle grade <laughs> horror is the genre. So we've got a middle grade uh, angle going on. The word count is 52,000, and this is the beginning of the book. Chapter one. It had been three days since Lilith was stuffed into her father's old Volvo to drive across the country from San Francisco, California, to Mo- Moore Park, Maine. The first day in the car wasn't too bad. Lilith had scarfed be- beef jerky and lemonade all day while driving through the hot and barren deserts of the West. Day two was totally terrible. In fact, it was the most bored Lilith had ever been. All she could do was count the corn stalks of Kansas until she fell asleep. By day three, Lilith was forced to listen to a hundred phone calls from her mother who was traveling behind her and to her father singing aloud to old rock music that she hated. She had no idea driving in a car could be so terrible. As a result, Lilith was ready to open the car door and throw herself onto the highway. But she didn't. She kept herself buckled up and listened to her father talk about how excited he was for his new job. Whatever, thought Lilith. Who cares? I thought moving could be fun, but it's not. It's stupid. When day four started, Lilith and her father still had 15 hours of driving until they reached their new home. So instead of suffering through boredom, Lilith decided to sleep the entire time. In her dreams, she said goodbye to the blue Pacific Ocean and the warm sandy beaches she grew up with, as well as the dusty cornfields that put her to sleep. She also dreamt that her new bedroom would be big enough to hold all of her books. But dreams change and nightmares happen. Lilith was startled awake by three sharp knocks on her bedroom door. In the hallway stood two large movers. Instead of answering their knocks, Lilith rubbed the sleep from her eyes and looked at her bedroom for the first time. Her walls and doors were dark wood with a grain that looked like a waterfall, and the bedroom door had a crystal knob with a very strange-looking keyhole. The heavy knocks came again, and Lilith jumped. A deep voice questioned, Hello, little girl? Lilith rolled her eyes. Little girl? I don't wear diapers. Little girl, the voice said, this time a little more serious. We have some boxes with your name on them. Is it okay if we come in and put them down? Lilith was silent. Maybe no one's in there, a different voice said. I say we go in. 
Lilith saw her doorknob turn and the door groaned open. She felt the vibrations of their thudding feet enter her room. The men were twice the size of her father and their shirts didn't have any sleeves. They each carried a huge box covered in Lilith's curved and direct handwriting. Lilith had written the author and title of every book on the outside of each box. She was a very meticulous lady. When they entered, the movers didn't see Lilith sitting in the dark corner in her black dress, staring at them with her crystal blue eyes, nor did they notice Lilith's long black hair that kept her hidden in the shadows of her room. The big men just chatted away while placing her heavy boxes of books all over the room. With all this reading, this kid must have must not have any friends, the first big guy joked. Yeah, reading didn't get me anywhere in school, confessed the other guy. I can't imagine reading all day like this dork. Hearing this made Lilith stand up from her pile of blankets. Excuse me, she said sharply, and in her most proper voice. The men stopped chuckling and became defensive, like when a dog feels threatened. Where did that voice come from, they said together. I've seen ghosts before, and it's never turned out good, the bigger guy said. I knew we shouldn't have taken this job, the other one said. You said the job would be easy. The bigger guy rationalized the situation. Hey, man, every town has the house. The house the murderer lives in, the house built on a graveyard, the house the trick-or-treaters won't go to because no one comes out alive. I'm sorry the only job available was the was to move the people into the scarecrow house. Whatever, dude, let's just get the job done. This made Lilith feel just as alone as her nightmare did, and this made her angry. She cleared her throat to get the men's attention. The men whispered together, What was that? Now that Lilith had their attention, she was happy to make them pay for their stupidness. She opened her mouth and screamed as loud as she could, like it was Halloween and the chainsaw man was running her down, trying to chop off all her limbs. Her voice, snapping and snarling, sounded like ice freezing very quickly. The men felt the hair on their arms and necks start to climb into sharp points as they looked frantically from where the scream came. Lilith thought they looked like they wanted to run to their mothers. Then she growled like a threatened animal. I'm right here, you stupids. She threw a pillow across the room for added effect. The men ran out the door, their boots hammered on the floor as they escaped down the stairs and into the living room of Lilith's new home. Without them, her room was quiet, very quiet. Lilith brushed the dust from her black dress and walked to the pillow she threw. Her black patent leather shoes created echoes that bounced around her room and into her ears. She picked up her pillow and threw it back into the corner where she'd slept. Finally, it was time to find her parents. Chapter 2 Lilith glided into the shadows of the hallway outside her room, and for the first time, she heard the quiet talking of her new house. Small creaks and cracks followed her down the hallway and staircase until she stopped to listen to her parents arguing. It was very clear what they were fighting about. Her father, George, banged his hand on something and said, I'm moving my office near the kitchen. Her mother yelled back, Fine, but the china hutch is going right next to your desk. Whatever makes you happy, Anne. There was another loud bang and the stomping of footsteps. Leaving for work already? Anne roared. We are so happy. You love what you do. But wouldn't it be nice to have a family meal together one of these days? Then it was quiet until George's voice crashed through the silence. People need me, he said. But if you need to know, I was going to finish getting Lilith ready for school on Monday. 
Something was thrown across the room. Whatever it was shattered against the wall. Lilith could hear George gathering his things, trying to leave the house. Anne continued yelling, her voice dripping with sarcasm. I hope you don't get eaten by the monster hunting the town we all live in. Okay. <laughs> I hope not, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's usually how I like to uh, wish my loved ones farewell right. for the day. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Good point. Uh, okay, so I I really like Lilith uh, in this story. I think she's... I love a feisty middle-grade heroine myself. I don't know about you, Clark. Uh, <laughs> but... But and the premise is really interesting, I think, for this story, and we don't get a lot of that up front. Uh, it from the from the opening that we're seeing, and I found found myself uh, confused by certain mm-hmm. aspects of the beginning. So I think this is a great start, and we have some suggestions for. For the author. Yeah, <clears throat> and I, I agree. Like, I, I really like the premise because uh, the author sent over the synopsis and it, it made like, wow, this is going to be a pretty awesome book. And it's got a lot of really clever uh, things that are going to be happening in it. So this was a this was a lot of fun to be able to go through. But there are some things. That, of course, if you noticed, uh, if you're paying attention, you'll you'll have heard some little slips in there as I was reading through it, you know. Um, we have one point, you know, where we, we kind of switch point of view perspectives accidentally. And so there's some little things in here that we want to talk about, uh, and go through and, and help make better and stronger. Yeah. Yeah. I think my biggest concern is that, that I, the, I was confused in the beginning because, or, or not in the beginning, or I should say, I'm confused <laughs> when Lilith is sort of interacting with the movers mm-hmm. and and at first like I didn't know is she a ghost and that's why they can't see her or how is that how is that happening and I didn't understand I didn't understand that so I think sometimes it happens that the beginning scenes are the first ones we write and we're not we don't have everything we're still figuring it out and then there are other times when we have a really clear idea in our head of what's happening and, and, and that, but it doesn't always end up showing up. And when I read, you know, I checked this out with the, with the author and that in fact, Lilith is not a, a ghost. She's a, she's a real girl, <laughs> uh, a normal girl. And, um, and her father has an interesting paranormal profession. So, that was, you know, because there was that confusion, I, you know, I would want to make sure or I would recommend to the author to have beta readers for, you know, in addition to having editors, um, just because you can, they can give you feedback about where they get lost and confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Because uh, I, I came across the same thing because we have an odd uh, transition. We're doing a... Um, Doing kind of like a montage feel of uh, the beginning, you know, just going through each day and kind of what's happening, but just basically paraphrasing and summarizing uh, the trip out. And then she falls asleep, but when she wakes up, she doesn't wake up and walk into the house and go to the room. She wakes up in the room 
and then this odd situation happens with the movers. And I was struck with that as well. Um, wondering what kind of powers she might have, what kind of, you know, what is this? Um, and basically because, you know, like I, if you haven't read Hank Hudson yet, uh, Hank Hudson, uh, the middle grade book that I wrote, the boy has the ability. He accidentally turns himself invisible all the time and doesn't recognize it. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, and then he turns himself visible, you know, occasionally in there too. And so people see him and they're shocked and surprised that he was there the whole time or standing there and things. And so, yeah, like having clear rules of, of how a system works is really important to, to work those kinks out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like we were talking about, you know, the, with the quote, the, in the, the very beginning of this, the first scene, we have Lilith in the car and she's listening to her dad argue with the mom over the phone and, and she's watching cornfields go by and that sort of thing. And so she's not really in a very, obviously she's not in a place where she can be proactive. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering about whether this, the, the story should actually start in a different place. Or, you know, in a different scene where she can be proactive. Well, even if even if this move across the country is really important to have, Mm -hmm. you know, to establish character development, we should be in full scene. We shouldn't be summarizing through it. Um, This is your chance. Remember, like it doesn't matter whether you're um, self-publishing, you're doing a small press, you're trying to get an agent or you're doing a a major publisher, you know, trying to get their attention. You don't have a a lot of pages to do that in. Mm -hmm. So we want to be able to hook real fast. We want to be in action, not like gun chase, you know, car chases and gun uh, fights or anything like that necessarily. But we want to see them acting like even having a conversation with her father over the music would be action. It would be something that we could we could see and and develop that. But maybe it's not important at all. Maybe that's why it was summarized, and it was just only important for the author to kind of get some information for himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be it would be interesting to see it in the context of the rest of the story to kind of get a better feel. Like, does is it necessary? Does it add something to the story? Are we getting? you know, extra characterization or, um, you know, revealing certain details that we can't get any other way, uh, then, you know, then tweaking it, as you suggest, to have some kind of, to allow her to be proactive, even if she's reacting to her circumstances where she doesn't have a lot of control. And that's common for the protagonist to not have control. And a, a middle grade protagonist especially mm-hmm. yeah because then definitely you know not going to have control because the age and you know she's not going to be able to drive the car you know <laughs> change the mind and say no we're driving back now right <laughs> um and uh although in the section we read um another section with, with the line editing it actually um extended and went a little bit farther along um to get into the idea that her father um like hunts monsters for a living that's mm-hmm. what he does and um one of the things that i was thinking of it, it and there's a scene where uh she's looking through a room and she finds this uh, keyhole and she grabs some bobby pins and is trying to to work the lock now um 
I don't know about you. Last thing, it's it's uh, not a skill that I learned as a middle grade child to pick locks. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and so I was actually thinking about this. Um, how much fun would it be that they're driving across the country and dad's trying to teach the business, trying to teach the craft? And he's like, here, you know, work on this lock and try to get it open while we're going. And we don't know what uh, what he does for a living, but he's he's teaching like doing these kinds of things that, you know, that, uh, that fathers do with their kids when they're trying to teach the family business type of idea. Mm-hmm. Let's see how fast you can get through this lock. You know, little things like that that could be action, that could be doing something, that could be establishing the question of what's to come right. and setting up her skill set. Right, right. I think that's that's a great suggestion. And it reminds me of uh, something I wanted to mention because, right, the opening scene is it sets the reader's expectations. You're kind of training the reader for what, you know, and and training the reader, this is how to read this book, and also um, making promises about how the rest of the book is going to unfold. And and so the, I think I've mentioned this before, that the original Indiana Jones movie is a great example of this because the inciting incident for the story, you know, the one that kicks off the action of the story is, is kind of a bland, uh, it's in the, it's in the set, the setting is a a university classroom, which is Mm -hmm. not, you know, very, it's not very exciting, but if you then, so they have the scene in the beginning where Indiana Jones is actually in his element and he's, you know, on an adventure, he's going to collect an artifact to put in a museum. And so we know that, you know, the audience knows that this is an action film. This is the promise and that you have to sit through some stuff. We're, we're willing to sit through the the classroom scene and the, you know, the other scenes that come that don't involve action because we know that more is coming. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if uh, you're a fan of... Um... Uh, George R. R. Martin and have read the, the Game of Thrones series, the first book, it starts with a prologue of these guys out there having a face-off with these with the White Walkers, which don't come along until much later in the book. But again, like you're saying, right, we're setting up promises. We're, we're saying this is going to get really great. <laughs> um, just wait, <laughs> and it's going to be awesome. Uh, but it's going to take a little time to get through all the all the uh, inner workings of the politics that are going to take place over these next few chapters in Game of Thrones. Um, but we'll get back to it eventually, you know, like that's, that's what you're telling the reader. And I really like that. Um, and, and also really cool. Like, uh, and we've talked, um, I've, I don't think we've talked about it on this show, but I've certainly had this conversation with a lot of, um, a lot of authors recently. Um, uh, on their books is like establishing the status quo, the regular life mm-hmm. of a person before they get into it. And I love, you know, that you watch a James Bond film or read his book or you do the Indiana Jones. Regular life for them is the adventure. And mm-hmm. so like that's what we open on. And uh, regular life for her here in this story for Lilith, you know, what is regular life for her mm-hmm. living with the father who hunts monsters? Right. Yeah. I think that's... It's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, so along those lines of a more active uh, opening, I would I would love to see more conflict for Lilith in these op- in the opening scenes. So she's moved to a new place. Her parents are stressed out and arguing. Um, we don't get a sense of what I mean. 
don't get me wrong. I know that moving, especially for at this age, is awkward and can be really uncomfortable and and have lots of painful parts. But the I guess what I'm saying is like outside of the normal kinds of things that a girl would deal with by moving from moving from California to Maine and having grown up in Maine, I have some sense of what that would be like. (laughs) (laughs) Some serious culture shock. Uh, And so, but aside from that, like what is her, what's the conflict? What is she dealing with? And, you know, we don't know yet what the big conflict of the story will be, but, but I'll give you a little hint. She, her parents get taken by the monster and, and it's up to her, to Lilith, to reunite families and defeat the monster. And so, like, that's really huge. And so what I'm wondering is if we could have a solid bridging conflict, you know, a smaller conflict on at, at the scene level that kind of mirrors the bigger conflict that she's going to have and that shows us how Lilith deals with obstacles that show up in her life and, and, and what she's going to have to work on to um, to defeat the monster in the end. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in the, um, I believe it was in the synopsis where it does talk about that there's supposed to be some um, building in there between her father and her in trying to introduce how to do the job type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, how cool would that be at the beginning of this story before they have to move? You know, that, uh, that we get that, let's go after this small I don't, I don't know what the monsters are in here, but you know, let, let's go capture this small goblin creature. Right. That's, that's, yeah, that's causing problems at this business or something like that. This is what we do. You know, it's almost like pest control or something, you know, and let's, I'm, yeah, I'm taking the daughter with me, you know, bring your daughter to work day. <laughs> right. And <laughs> yeah, and we could have that and we could see how she deals with that. And then we could have, then we could move into the drive across the country and we could start establishing more about uh, how the family interacts with each other and what's going on. And maybe she didn't want to move, probably didn't. And you get out to the new place and, and move forward with it. I think that there's a lot that can be done here to help establish um, our setting, what's to come, uh, what's at stake, all of this right up front in a scene like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that's all that I wanted to talk about. Do you have anything else, Clark? Um, you know, I just double check here. Um, one of the things, you know, with, uh, with the horror and we didn't get into any of the actual horror scenes is just to also remember that tension is so important in these types of world, but it's not just the tension that the character's feeling. It's, we want to make the reader feel tense as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's so yeah okay that's a discussion for another day but i could launch into something there Uh and i and i won't i'll save it all right little cliffhanger uh okay but i do have an editorial mission oh good we don't do those very often no no it's just occasionally uh so active protagonist What I want you to do is read the first quarter of your book and ask yourself these questions for each scene. What does the protagonist want in this scene? How does it relate to her big goal for the whole story? What does she try to do to get what she wants? What stands in her way? 
And what does she do to overcome the obstacles? And by answering these questions, you will get clear on like, what is she doing? Like, what is the action that she's taken? And so you'll be able to see quite clearly whether she's being proactive or passive. So that's the editorial mission. I should get a cooler name for that. Like, get active or no, that's not. No. Anyway. Get active in your inbox because you can get these editorial missions sent right to the inbox now. Nice. Nice. There you go. Transition. Get active (laughs) in your inbox. There you have it. (laughs) And don't forget that the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Club, which you can find at www.authormarketingclub.com. Don't forget when you become a premium member today, you'll gain access to the new and improved Amazon Reviewer Grabber Tool. Awesome. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. If you want to have the first five pages or any five pages of your manuscript reviewed, please visit www.writership.org slash submissions for the new automated submission tool. Finally, be sure to check out the Book Editor Show, which Clark hosts with Peter Turley. That's it for episode 83. We'll see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Ready for Leslie and Clark to help you find the treasure in your manuscript? Submit your pages to writership.org forward slash podcast.